This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Bel, Ishtar, and Molech. They are the gods who have returned to destroy the West. The movement continues to expand and to celebrate the turning of men away from women and the turning of women away from men. And June, throughout the West, in our modern world, celebrates Ishtar, whether it knows it or not. Her festivals, her evil practices, sexual immorality, and gender confusion. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Today, we've got more in the series Under the Influence, a series about culture and society being under the influence of evil. Pastor Jeff is reading from various chapters in the Bible, but he's mostly referring to Ephesians chapter 6. The whole series really all goes together. There's a lot of overlap between his messages So if you need to catch up on other episodes, you can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. Let's finish this message now with Pastor Jeff. Bel, Ishtar and Molech. They are the gods who have returned to destroy the West but Ishtar is the god or goddess that ushers in the end. I want you to stay with me here. Here's why Ishtar is so damaging. God ordained marriage in the family. He ordered the family to teach and to guide the children of the next generation, the existence of God, the purpose of creation. Ishtar, more than any other god or goddess, desires to destroy the family, to destroy society, and to wound the heart of God. And the demonic forces exist, Jesus told us, to still kill and destroy. So Ishtar not only destroys the sanctity of sex, marriage, and the family, we learned last week that Ishtar desires to change a man's desire for a woman to a man and a woman's desire for men toward a woman. Now, here's the question. So far, I've only told you what I know in the ancient world. I want to tell you this is now a speculation. This is my speculation, okay? I guess the number one way to destroy society would be to destroy procreation. Right? Well, unless sex is between a man and a woman, it's going to be hard to procreate. And I think one of the temptations, one of the avenues through which Ishtar works to ultimately destroy humanity is to celebrate the methods that break down what is sacred. Remember what we said, what gets celebrated gets repeated. And now think about this. Here we go. Now think about this. In the ancient Middle East, Ishtar was especially known as the goddess of parades or parades and processions. The descriptions of ancient processions include words like licentious, bawdy, unbridled, and lewd. So if the goddess returns to the Western world, she would return with her parades and celebrations. And I'm telling you that today, all around the world, millions are walking in the footsteps of the ancient priests and becoming her servants. Ishtar's power, under her power, women would take on the roles of men, and then they would become lovers of women, lesbians, 
Now, I haven't talked about the female side of this very often, but I need to just for a moment before I take you home, okay? Lesbians made up a large part of Ishtar parades as they do modern pride parades. But what's quite amazing is the fact that the most basic modern representation of lesbianism is that of two crosses taut with two large circles intertwined with each other, two symbols of the female joined together. Now, where did that come from? Well, the Swedish botanist Carl Linnaeus in the 18th century used it to represent female flowers. He took the symbol from the Greeks who used it to represent metal copper, which was associated with the planet Venus. The planet was associated with the goddess Venus. Venus was the incarnation of Aphrodite and Ishtar. So the sign that represents lesbianism today, on purpose or not, I don't know. Remember what we said? You don't have to do it on purpose. If the gods or goddesses return, these things will return, incidentally or on purpose. But the, the sign that represents lesbianism today goes all the way back to Ishtar. Two Venuses, two goddesses, two Ishtars intertwined together. In fact, the great poet Sappho, who had significant influence in the 7th century BC, the modern revival of lesbianism takes inspiration from the Greek poet Sappho. Now, this is, I'm just quoting to you from the lesbian movement. So this is not conjecture, this is just their words. Sappho led a theos, or it's called a theoso, which is a, a type of community for young women. Sappho, the influential Greek poet, said that she had a sexual attraction to her students and that the patron deity protecting Sappho's community was the goddess Aphrodite, the Greek incarnation of Ishtar. Sappho actually worshiped the goddess and wrote about being intimately acquainted with her. And in Sappho's poems, we learn heaps. In one of those poems is a prayer to Ishtar in which Sappho pleads with the goddess, who she calls, by the way, the terrible enchantress, to alter the affections of women toward her, away from men toward her. What's really interesting is Sappho was born on a Greek island called Lesbos. From that word comes our word lesbian. Lesbos, Sappho, Aphrodite, Ishtar. And you just keep going. There's so much I had to leave out, but if you think of the, the colors purple, violet, and lavender, fill the poetry of Sappho, which is why it was incorporated into the flag, the pride flag. In fact, in 1999, another symbol for lesbianism arose that has become primary symbol today. It's a, it's a symbol of an ax with two blades, a double-edged ax or a labrys. Now, why, how does this represent lesbianism? Because in the days of the Roman Empire, the double-edged ax was associated with a mythological warrior or warriors known as the Amazons. And the Amazons were all women warriors. The axe symbolized women's independence from men while taking on the nature in place of men. And the reason that's important is because the gay pride movement today sees themselves as heirs to the ancient Amazons. And then there's the whole thing of Tammuz. That's a Hebrew word. Tammuz or Tammuz. There's different ways to pronounce it. Tammuz is the month of June on the Gregorian calendar. The name of Ishtar's lover is also Tammuz. Ishtar's lover, Tammuz, separated from her in a very dramatic event. And as a result, her lover, Tammuz, was sent into the lower regions where he could mourn his loss. But a major part of the story speaks of the sorrow and anger of Ishtar because of her loss. Now, strangely enough, in the ancient world, the month of June became a time when Ishtar was most celebrated in worship. Every June in the ancient world, for 29 days, the goddess was celebrated 
It was the month of her unfulfilled longings, her unanswered passions, her denied desires. So for her worshipers, June was the month in which she was adored, celebrated, and worshipped and admired. June was to Ishtar and her followers what December is to modern Christians. Think about December, the whole month. I mean, we celebrate Christmas December 25th, but the whole month is what? Office parties, parades, feasts, celebrations. So the month of June in the ancient world to Ishtar for 29 days focused on the goddess. So if Ishtar was to come back into the West, her signs and symbols would also follow her. Now, pay attention. I find it more than coincidence that Stonewall happened in late June. Pride parades permeate the Western world in the month of June. Gay Pride Month is June. The month that separated Tammuz from Ishtar is the month that separates male and female, June. The movement continues to expand and to celebrate the turning of men away from women and the turning of women away from men. And June, throughout the West, in our modern world, celebrates Ishtar, whether it knows it or not. Her festivals, her evil practices, sexual immorality, and gender confusion. And if the goddess Ishtar were to return, would she not lay claim to the month of June? And is that exactly what she's done? And her celebrations now are actually forced upon her and upon us in the public. In the ancient world, folks, before the Jesus movement, for 29 days, the Middle Eastern calendar was especially given to the possession of the goddess, her lover, and her mythology. So you had riots and festivals and parades and processions for 29 days in June. And then there's the flag. The rainbow flag designed by Gilbert Baker, an openly gay man and drag queen. It was first flown, you guessed it, June. 25, 1978. The original flag had eight colors, okay? Each representing one of eight elements in the movement. Pink represented sex. Red represented life. Orange, healing. Yellow, light and sun. Green, nature. Turquoise, magic. Indigo, serenity. And violet, spirit. Now, there have been so many people try to research how all of these fit together, and quite frankly, they just don't. The only unifying theme of this haphazardness is Ishtar. Was it done on purpose? I don't know. Pink, sex. Ishtar was the goddess of sex. She was the embodiment of passion, lust, unbridled sexual desire, and debauchery. Red, life. Ishtar was said to be the goddess of fertility and procreation. Orange, healing. Ishtar's Mesopotamian manifestation was Gula, the goddess who takes away sickness. Yellow, light, and sun. Ishtar was associated with the celestial lights. The morning and evening star would carry her name, Venus. And the moon was her father. But the sun was inextricably bound to Ishtar. She was said to be the sun's twin sister, which is why we find a sun disk at her side in many of her carved images. Green, nature. Ishtar was the embodiment of nature. She brought fruitfulness to the earth with thunder, rains, and storms. Turquoise, magic. Ishtar was always casting spells and enchantments to turn a man's desire from a woman's and a woman's from a man. Indigo, serenity. <laughs> you say, how can, a, how can a goddess who's described as the storm, like you said last week, also be described by Indigo's serenity. Well, that's the thing about the, the foreign modern mythological gods. They are myriad of contradictions. However, it was said that people came to the altars of Ishtar and actually would pray an old Babylonian hymn that went like this. At your glance, serenity comes into my being. Violet, spirit. Ishtar is the spirit, wouldn't you say? But of what kind? 
And the answer is demonic. But perhaps the most compelling of all is the fact that an ancient Elamite inscription gives us Ishtar's, which I've held off until now, full name. Do you know what Ishtar's full name is? Manzat Ishtar, Rainbow Ishtar. What's the message I'm trying to get across? I'm trying to say that at Stonewall, the ancient gods, goddesses, forced open the door into America. But stay with me. Let me end this and set us up for next week. At Stonewall, ancient doors were open. There were three landmark cases in America. And I spent so much time trying to research these cases and all the events, and I was going to do a whole series on this. Let's just speak them out, and you can do your own homework. The first landmark case, 2003, Lawrence versus Texas. The Supreme Court legalized homosexuality. Then that same year legalized same-sex marriage. By the way, the decision came, guess what month? June. June 26, 2003, which was the exact day the stonewalling, the stonewall uprising was sealed and its warrant was issued and the legal authorization was given to set everything in motion. I mean, are the gods really that organized? Yes. Yes, they are. The second landmark case, the United States versus Windsor, 2013. This is the ruling that overturned the Defense of Marriage Act. And it led to the federal government recognizing same-sex marriages performed in states where it had previously been legalized. When do you think that ruling happened? Would you like to guess? June 26, 2013. The month of Tammuz, the month of Ishtar, the month of Stonewall, the month the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. Not, not civil union, but same-sex marriage, redefining marriage. It was 10 years to the exact date that the Supreme Court legalized homosexuality in 2003. Both those rulings opened the door for the normalization and establishment of homosexuality and lesbianism. And they occurred on the same day, the same day Stonewall was sealed. Now here's the third door. The Supreme Court case, Obergefell versus Hodges. This was a historic ruling. It struck down the historical, biblical, age-old definition of marriage between a woman and a man, and it legalized same-sex marriage across America. Would you like to guess when that took place? June 26, 2015. Again, Jonathan Codd writes, it's, it, it is hard for modern mind, the modern mind, to fathom the idea that the political, cultural, and judicial events of modern times could be determined by an ancient mystery from the Middle East. But the exact convergence of all these events and factors is stunning. On the night that the biblical definition and ordination of biblical marriage was struck down in America, the same night, do you know what happened? A sign appeared all across America. It was on the Empire State Building. It lit up the waters of Niagara Falls. It lit up the iconic castle at Disney World. And most remarkably, it lit up the building from which America was governed, the White House. Do you think the demonic forces are pleased that the last bastion of Judeo-Christian values defeated? Don't you find it interesting that you can't put a cross in public, but you can put a rainbow flag? You can't put a cross the Bible, the Ten Commandments in many public places. But the rainbow and the rainbow flag can be enshrined in the public square. You can manifest it on public property, municipal halls, government buildings. And now in some places, it's even appearing on police cars. It's flown outside of American embassies all around the world. It's displayed in commercial buildings, athletic fields, corporate headquarters. But you can't put the cross up. What do we do? Pray. You and I do have power 
And we're going to talk about that next week. How does that power and how does it, how do we release that power without losing the position that we really have as citizens of the kingdom of heaven going after people who are far from God? Well, let me tell you three things quickly. When the gods return, the first thing you've got to realize is they return but for one purpose. If the gods are here, they return for one purpose, and that purpose is for the final showdown. So if the demonic forces have returned from the fridges, the time is near. I don't know how near. I'm not a prophet. Anybody that tells you how near, run. But can I tell you something? Do you remember the story in the Old Testament where God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? because of this type of thing. And Abraham goes to God and he says, God, I mean, are you really going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, what if, you, are you going to, and I think the exact verse, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Genesis 18, 23. I mean, you're going to, you're going to bring judgment. What about all the righteous people? If I find 50 righteous, will you relent? And God said, yeah, if you find 50 righteous, Abraham, I won't destroy it. Oh, okay, God, <laughs> Abraham. Okay, God, how about 45? Can I, can I go 45? Yes, Abraham, 45. Okay, well, how about 30? Can we go 30? Uh, yeah. How about 20? What if we find 20? Uh, how about 10? Suddenly Abraham gets it. That God is not quick, but he's very patient and very slow. But that story, I've often wondered, why did God put that in there? People ask me sometimes, how can you believe in a God who would tell the Israelites to go in to destroy the Amalekites? men, women, children. Well, remember, when society becomes so corrupt that there's no righteous left, it means the more you procreate, the more you procreate unrighteousness. And that's when God says this far, no further. My belief personally is when our country, when this generation, when we get so far away from God that there's no one righteous left, the destruction comes. When the battle occurs, which side are you on? James 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know what that means, folks? Young people, I've got some young people. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what it means. Your culture is trying to sway you. It's powerful because there are demonic forces that mean to destroy you, your relationship with God, and everything that you hold sacred. So you've got to make a choice in your life. You're either going to be friends with God or enmity. Enmity means with hatred. And if you're so in love with the world that you just go the flow of the world, you think you're neutral. You say, well, I can go this way and not hate God. God says, no, you either love God or you hate him. And if you love him, you follow him. If you hate him, you go the flow of the world, which always takes you away from God. But it's, it's more stringent than that. And this gospel has not been preached. And we just were afraid to say this to people. But the reality is, and we're told in Ephesians 5, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. And the one that gets me every time is Luke 12. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus said, if you love your mother or your father more than me, if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of me. What does he mean? When you go to a gay pride parade because you think you're supporting your son, you're not. You're supporting Ishtar in all her ways. Listen, you can love your son and daughter. You can love them 
without condoning or participating in the fruitless works of darkness. And you know what? When you do, you may lose your son and daughter for a season. But if you continue to participate where they are, you'll lose them for life. There's a chance that because you've taught them the way they should go when they're older, they won't fall away from it. But if you move with them and you think you're being kind, look, they don't need a buddy. They need a mother and a father. And they need somebody... They need somebody who will stand up and say, I love you and there's nothing you could ever do to make me not love you. But this is wrong and it's not what God has for you and I cannot support you in it, but I will always love you. If you're one of those people who say, well, I'm going to just let my children make up their own mind about life. Can I tell you something in love? You're an idiot. Because I mean, you're an idiot. Because if you're not teaching your children, somebody else is. Do you understand that? If you're not aggressively teaching your children, I guarantee you their cell phone's teaching them. Teachers are, somebody else is teaching them. Be clear to your children about what they're being exposed to and explain it. When the gods return, we must make sure that we have nothing to do with the fruitless works of darkness. And then finally and quickly, I got to end. During the return of the gods, we must lean into spiritual disciplines that keep us from falling away. I keep saying this every message. You are not strong enough to resist the pull of the world. And if you are not involved in the spiritual disciplines, if you're not meeting with accountability with friends who hold you accountable, that you can run ideas by, that you can talk about life with, if you're an island, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for destruction. Do you see that? Some of the best news I've gotten lately, and I hope I don't embarrass anybody, and I'm, I'm going to read it as I've written. One of the most joyful pieces of news that I've had in a long time is the news that some of my best and closest friends are all meeting together. So Mike Masterson, Randy Webb, David Jax, Anthony McMahon, Paige Martin are all in the same small group. And when I heard that, I thought, finally, those hammerheads. They're meeting together and they're growing together. And I'm thinking, the other day I was thinking, man, maybe I need to join that group. Those are some cool people. Now that doesn't mean your group's not cool. It just wouldn't be as cool as mine. Okay, I gotta end, I gotta end, listen. Don't miss next week, please, or you'll, you'll... And you can go back and listen to these sermons, for, and you can test and Google and do your own research, but here's, here's, we can't leave without this, okay? I gave you this message not to inspire you to hate anyone. Oh, man. These are our sons and daughters. I, I'm not trying to get you... Look at those... I'm not, I don't want you to look at a pride parade with hate. I want you to look at it with compassion and know that the demonic forces have returned. And there are people who have genuine hurts and needs and there's, gen there's genuine confusion because of a culture and a world that's trying to rob them of their joy. Don't hate them. Don't spew vitriolic language at them. Stand for what is right, but do it with compassion. Help me. We want to be a place that no matter who you are and where you've been and what you've done, your sin is no worse than mine. Mine is no better than you. We are all sinners in need of forgiveness through the grace of Jesus Christ, right? And he stood up and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and he was handed a book from the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what we want to do. Set the captives free.
Father, thank you for your goodness. As always, I pray that anything that I've said that is consistent with your word, that it would go down very deep. And Father, it would govern our lives. It would transform us. But anything I've said that is not consistent with your word, that it'd be forgotten and it would be seen on the wayside, just trampled on the road, never remembered again. And so Father, through all of this, help us to see what's happening in culture, but as we do to love and show compassion for all who are far from God, everyone's welcome in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.